Middle-earth has a detailed and ancient history, with three ages of the world, each spanning thousands of years. Today, we wander through this epic timeline, and I'll rip into how Amazon's rings of power totally trashed Tolkien's timeline. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's check the map so we know where we are for today's story. If none of this makes sense, feel free to listen to a previous episode or two to catch back up. We've been wandering through the appendix to the Lord of the Rings. Appendix A dealt mainly with the events of the Third Age up to the War of the Ring including the establishment of the Kingdoms of Men and the Dwarves. Today, we traverse through Appendix B, titled The Tale of Years, or Chronology of the Westlands. The Tale of Years is a sort of high-level timeline on the Second and Third Ages, but Tolkien gave us three major events on which we can mentally grab to remember the ages of Middle-earth. The First Age ended with the Valar overthrowing the great enemy Morgoth, of which you get a watered-down version in the prologue of Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 1. The Second Age ended with the first overthrow of Sauron, which is depicted in the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring movie. And the Third Age ended with the War of the Ring, when the One Ring was destroyed and Sauron was overthrown again. However, Tolkien gives us a gotcha. The Fourth Age actually didn't start until Elrond departed Middle-earth. Okay, those are the three major events that ended the various ages of Middle-earth. What the Tale of Years does is provide a sketch for the Second and Third Ages. It's not a story per se, but it provides the outline for the stories that we've covered in depth on this podcast. However, we've looked at these stories in their isolated formats. What I hope to show you today is the interconnectedness of it all. Also, before we get too far, Tolkien was never entirely settled with timelines. He tinkered with the timelines and dates continuously, even after the publication of The Lord of the Rings. One example, the year provided for the birth of Galadriel's daughter Celebrian, who would later marry Elrond and be the mother of Arwen, has been adjusted so many times that I can't even remember what the definitive answer is. Why did Tolkien put so much painstaking and head-scratching care into these timelines? What's so important about them that we should spend time reading the tale of years? I think a partial answer can be found in Tolkien's essay called On Fairy Stories, where he says, quote, Enchantment produces a secondary world, into which both designer and spectator can enter, to the satisfaction of their senses while they are inside, but in its purity it is artistic in desire and purpose. It's that idea about satisfying the senses that I want to point out. Tolkien knew that to have an enchanting story, the details of the story would have to make perfect sense internally to the story itself, otherwise the audience would not be enchanted. Now let's make the general specific. 
The timelines Tolkien produced are one of many schemas of details that he carefully cultivated in order to create an enchanting story. And the detailed timeline is something that enchants both the casual reader and the more critically-minded reader. Because of the well-thought-out and detailed chronology, the casual reader will find a sense of depth, a sense of reality to the story, even though they may not be able to articulate why. And the critical reader will love the chronology because it provides an internally realistic schema by which to judge the story, and, if well thought out, the timeline enriches the story all the more. One example of this, Gandalf falls in Moria, but the Fellowship continues forward. They stay in Lothlorien for a time before Aragorn leads them back out into the wild. Had they stayed less than a week more, they would have been reunited with a reincarnated Gandalf. How would such a reuniting have changed the whole story? Would Rohan have fallen to Saruman because the Ents never attacked and Aragorn never fought at Helm's Deep? Would Aragorn have traveled the paths of the dead if Gandalf had kept the Fellowship together and straight onto their target? What about Sam, who found the courage to stick the great spider monster Shelob? Would he have done that had Gandalf been there? Such timeline details like that open up all sorts of interesting questions that can be debated. But I digress. Let's get back to the tale of years. The Second Age, quote, were the dark years for men in Middle-earth. These dark years, or pagan days, are referenced a few times in the books and movies. These were dark times for men because the descendants of the great men of the First Age were rising in glory on the island kingdom of Numenor, but the lesser tribes of men were virtually left to fend for themselves under Sauron's influence. Hence the inspiration for the Rings of Power showrunners to show elves occupying the southern lands of men in case they turned back to their evil ways. For the elves, however, the Second Age was a time of relative peace, at least for a while. Their main settlements were in the north at Linden, though Thranduil, a less noble elf, had established his kingdom in northern Mirkwood. After a time, the elves settled in Eregion, on the western side of the Misty Mountains, quote, because they learned that Mithril had been discovered in Moria. During this time, the Noldor, a house of elves keen on crafting, became great friends with the dwarves of Durin's line. The greatest elf craftsman of the time was Celebrimbor, grandson of the tragic Feanor. Now, I'm going to highlight some key years in the Second Age. Again, I hope you've wandered into these stories in previous episodes so that all of this makes sense, but I'll try to guide you as best I can. In the year 32, men reached Numenor for the first time. In 500, Sauron, quote, begins to stir again in Middle-earth. In 600, Numenorean ships return to Middle-earth for the first time. If you're keeping track, that's nearly 600 years that Numenor has been growing in power before they reached back to Middle-earth. And there's a great tale in Tolkien's Unfinished Tales about the first Numenorean mariner who came back. We'll get to that tale another day. Eregion, the settlement of elves outside of Moria, is founded in 750. In the year 1000, Sauron chose Mordor for his stronghold, and begins to build his tall black tower, Baradur. He does all this because he fears the growing might of Numenor. Whether he left a map to Mordor in plain sight as a tattoo on his dead enemy's body, Tolkien doesn't say. That's a Rings of Power invention. In 1200, Sauron comes in the fair form of Anatar to the elves of Eregion. He is rejected by Gil-galad and Elrond, but Celebrimbor is eager for his knowledge. 300 years later, the elven smiths, quote, reach the height of their skill. They have learned much from Sauron, who supervises their work as they begin to make rings of power. 
I want to emphasize here that this is 300 years of training and tutelage that Sauron has given the elves. What could be learned from Sauron in 300 years? But even then, it was 90 years later that the Three Rings were completed in 1590. So notice the depth of what the elves were learning for nearly 400 years. This is one reason why I think so many Lord of the Rings fans feel cheated by Rings of Power Season 1, Episode 8. The three rings are made in like three seconds by a silly idea from a low man to the greatest elven craftsman in order to save the elves from some silly life and light ending problem that's not really clear why it's happening. However, the three rings have their time for 10 years before Sauron completes the forging of the one ring in the year 1600. When he puts on his ruling ring, the elven keepers of the three realize his master plan of domination and take off their rings. In this same year, Baradur is completed, cementing the connection between the formation of that tower with the forging of the One Ring. Just a reminder, Baradur took 600 years to build. In 1693, Sauron wages war against the elves in order to claim all the rings of power that they made using his knowledge. The three rings that he didn't directly supervise are hidden away. In 1695, Gil-galad sends Elrond with a force of elves to fight against Sauron. In 1697, Sauron is overwhelming his enemies, and the gates of Moria are shut. Elrond gathers what surviving elves he can, and founds a refuge in a northern valley called Imladris, or Rivendell. So, some perspective here. Numenor is still out there, and it's been growing in power for nearly 1700 years before Rivendell is established. But in 1700, Numenor comes to the aid of the elves, and a great navy comes to Middle-earth and defeats Sauron who presumably retreats to Mordor. This would be Sauron's first major humiliation at the hands of the mortal Numenorians. 100 years later, in 1800, the Numenorians established powerful, permanent harbors in Middle-earth. Sauron grows his power in the east. In 2251, the Numenorians are starting to rebel against the Valar and the Elves, and to resent the mortality that is their fate. They are not yet in open rebellion, but the seeds have been sown. Also, the Nazgul come onto the scene. That'll be roughly 700 years since the rings were starting to be crafted, and 500 years since Sauron claimed them in his war with the elves. Two great establishments of Numenor are founded, Umbar in the south in 2280, and Pelargir at the mouths of the Anduin in 2350. This is where the survivors of the Southlands and Rings of Power say they will go. Pelargir also was, quote, the chief haven of the faithful Numenorians. In 3175, Tar-Palantir attempts to repent in Numenor, but Ar-Farazon seizes the scepter in 3255. Seven years later, Ar-Farazon captures Sauron, whose army deserted him when they saw the might of Numenor. This is the second great humiliation of Sauron at the hands of the mortal Numenorians. They take Sauron back as prisoner, and by 3310, Sauron has corrupted the Numenorians to worship the Dark and rebel against the Valar. Numenor falls into the sea in 3319, but Elendil and his sons escape to found kingdoms in Middle-earth by 3320. In 3430, the elves and men form the last alliance, and in year 3434 of the Second Age, the Battle of the Daggerlad happens. This battle results in many bodies being sunk in the marsh, through which Smeagol will lead Frodo and Sam about 3,000 years later. Finally, in 3,441, Sauron is overthrown. The ring is cut from his hand and claimed by Isildur. Quote, 
Sauron passes away, and the Ringwraiths go into the shadows. And that is the end of the Second Age. Whew, are you still with me? You remembered all those dates, right? Good, because there's going to be a pop quiz later. I hope this little excursion into the timeline of the Second Age has at least deepened the scale of time for Middle-earth in your mind. This was over 3,000 years of amazing things going on, hundreds of years for elves to perfect the craft of ring-making, and thousands of years for Numenor to grow strong, so strong that they could humiliate Sauron not once, but twice. But he had the last laugh. The elves were broken, the rings claimed, Moria's doors shut, and Sauron toppled the mightiest kingdom of men through lies and corruption. We'll dive into the Third Age right after this break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to Wandering. The Third Age was, quote, the fading years of the Eldar. For long they were at peace, wielding the three rings while Sauron slept, and the one ring was lost. But they attempted nothing new, living in memory of the past. It wasn't known until later, but the keepers of the three rings were Galadriel, Elrond, and Círdan. But when the Istari, or wizard, showed up, Círdan gave his ring to Gandalf. The dwarves became even more isolated in their undermountain kingdoms, and the men of Númenor mixed with the men of Middle-earth, and their lifespan became less. Okay, let's look at some key dates. Year 2, Isildur plants a seedling of the White Tree at Minas Tirith. He gives the South Kingdom of Gondor to his nephew's keeping, and travels north to take up the ruling of the North Kingdom but he never makes it as he is ambushed at Gladden Fields. In 109, Elrond and Celebrian, daughter of Galadriel, wed. In 241, Arwen is born. In 490, Easterlings invade Gondor for the first time. In 861, Eärendil dies, and the northern kingdom of Arnor splits into three lesser kingdoms. 1050 is a big year as, quote, Gondor reaches the height of its power. A shadow falls on the forest of Mirkwood, and the Harfoot tribe of hobbits come into the northern land of Eriador. In 1100, the Wise, that's Wise with a capital W, meaning that this is a team of the primary elven leaders as well as the wizards, the Wise, quote, discover that an evil power has made a stronghold at Dol Guldur. They believe the evil power is one of the Nazgul, as no tidings of Sauron have been received for over a thousand years. In 1150, the other hobbit tribes make their way into the northern and western portions of Middle-earth. In 1300, the Nazgul reappear, as the Witch King of Angmar reveals himself and starts to harass the kingdoms of men in the north. 
the hobbits go further west, settling around Bree. In 1409, the Tower of Amansul, otherwise known as Weathertop, is destroyed in battle. Twenty years later, the kinstrife over the crown of Gondor begins. In 1601, many hobbits leave Bree and are given land by the king of Arthedain. This land would later be known as the Shire. Over 30 years later, a great plague, quote, devastates Gondor. In 1974, Arthedain is overrun by the Witch King, and the northern kingdom of Arnor is no more. In 1975, the Witch King is defeated, and five years later, he enters Mordor to gather the rest of the Nazgul to him. In this same year, quote, a Balrog appears in Moria. In 1999, the elves and men were worried about Y2K. Just kidding. The kingdom of dwarves at the lonely mountain called Erebor is founded. 2002, the Nazgul take control of Minasithil, and the fortress becomes known as Minas Morgul. In 2050, the last king of Gondor is lost, and the stewards begin to rule. In 2463, the White Council is formed, and, quote, Deagle, the Stuor, finds the One Ring, and is murdered by Smeagol. 2510, the Rohirrim are given the land of Rohan to settle in. In 2758, Rohan and Gondor are attacked. In Rohan, Helm retreats to Helm's Deep. Twelve years later, in 2770, Smog descends on Erebor and drives out the dwarves from their mountain. 2793 is the year that the War of the Dwarves and Orcs begins. 2845, Thorin's father Thrain is imprisoned in Dol Guldur. And five years later, Gandalf again sneaks into Dol Guldur, discovers who the evil power is, and obtains the map and key from Thrain. In 2851, Saruman overrules Gandalf from attacking Dol Guldur. He begins looking for the One Ring. In Gondor in 2852, the White Tree of Gondor dies, but it is left standing at Minas Tirith. Gimli, son of Gloin, is born in 2879, and in 2930, Denethor II, father of Boromir and Faramir, is born. And in the following year, 2931, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is born, quote, on March 1st. In 2941, Gandalf convinces Thorin to reclaim Erebor and the events portrayed in the Hobbit book and movies occur. Bilbo finds the One Ring, Gimli is over 60, and Aragorn is 10. The White Council finally pushes Sauron out of Dol Guldur, with Saruman finally consenting to the attack, only because he learned that Sauron's servants were also searching the same area for the One Ring. In 2942, Bilbo returns to the Shire, and Sauron returns to Mordor. Six years later, Theoden of Rohan is born in 2948. In 2951, Aragorn learns his true name from Elrond. He receives the heirlooms of his house, meets Arwen Undomniel, and goes out into the wild. Five years later, Aragorn meets Gandalf, quote, and their friendship begins. In 2968, Frodo is born, followed by Boromir's birth in 2978. Yes, Frodo is ten years older than Boromir. In 2980, Aragorn and Arwen become engaged. Gollum also meets Shelob. Three years later, in 2983, Faramir and Sam are born. In 3000, Saruman's treachery is complete. And in 3001, Bilbo holds a long-expected party for him and Frodo. He disappears, and the ring passes to Frodo. Now, starting in 3018, the timeline gets a lot more detailed. Wait, more detailed, you ask? Yes. More detailed, I say. And I haven't even given you everything, just the highlights. But the tale of years shifts from giving the major events in years to breaking month by month from March 3018 to 3019. 
and the later events of the Third Age and into the Fourth, but I think that's enough history for one episode. Before we go, I want to comment on the scope of these timelines. You may be feeling dizzy and remember none of the dates that I mentioned earlier, and that's okay. That sense of awe or being overwhelmed is what I hoped you would feel, because that feeling speaks to something deeper, that Tolkien's stories are not superficial, condensed, or half-heartedly constructed. No, Tolkien put painstaking care into the timelines of his tales, and it's that care and scale that enchants us about Middle-earth. As we walk with Frodo and Sam and Aragorn throughout the wild lands of Middle-earth, the ancient history of the land sinks into us. It helps us realize that we're experiencing only one small part of a much larger, grander tale. In fact, Samwise the Hobbit expresses the feeling for us. When he's trying to encourage Frodo on the stairs of Kirithongol, he says, quote, Why, to think of it, we're in the same tale still. It's going on. Don't the great tales never end? This framing, that the tale we are wandering is in an ancient, never-ending, ongoing tale, that feeling grounds us in Middle-earth. It pulls us in and enchants us. And a critical motivator for that grounding is the detailed, extensive, comprehensive timeline that makes it seem so real for us. And this, I think, is one of the major tragedies of Amazon's Rings of Power and their decision to compress the timeline of the Second Age. The stunted timeline feels jolted, off-kilter somehow, and it belittles the magnitude of Middle-Earth's history. Their reasoning was that if the timeline hadn't been compressed, then humans would be dying every season. Well, that's a rather sophomoric excuse, in my opinion, because the mortality of men versus the immortality of the elves, that's the whole point of The Lord of the Rings. Now, I'm no TV writer, and I've never convinced a major studio to give me billions of dollars to make a TV show, but at least I know one thing. Don't compress the timelines. Now, you can argue, well, Peter Jackson did it. He compressed the timeline. To which I say, yes, in one instance. Frodo has the One Ring, and in the book he hangs out in the Shire for like 15 years. In Peter Jackson's movies, it feels like Gandalf is gone and back in like a week. What happens in that 15 years? Basically, nothing. Frodo cements himself as a never-aging rich bachelor like Bilbo. That's kind of it. So, in a movie adaptation, it makes perfect sense for the action to happen quicker than in the book. 15 years condensed to a week is a justifiable ad adaptation. So let's contrast that with what Rings of Power did. The Second Age is 3,000 years, and the major events of the Second Age are decisive for what happens in the Third Age. The rise and fall of Numenor, the crafting of the Rings of Power, Sauron being captured in Numenor, and also eventually being overthrown. Those are critical events that take place over, again, 3,000 years. To compress those events into even like 10 years, I think that is defiling to Tolkien's work. As discouraging as that may be, we can still enjoy, or not, Rings of Power for what it is, an adaptation that falls short on time. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.